Welcome to our new season of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Sarah Duxbury, who is currently the Global Head of Learning and Development at All Saints and John Vivatos, two of the world's biggest fashion brands. She is also a business psychologist, C-suite coach, leadership development consultant and mentor, and she is also an award-winning HR director and keynote speaker. So as you can tell, she must be very busy all of the time. Um, Thanks so much for joining me today. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role that you have today? Yeah, of course. And it's Sarah, not Sarah, actually. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was thinking I didn't know. <laughs> no, it's fine. Do you know what? It's absolutely fine. I answered to everything. So it's all good. And and yeah, to be fair, after that introduction, I'm a bit tongue tied. now. I'm like, oh, gosh, you made me sound so incredibly uh, important. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. So how do I get to where I am today? So actually, if I think back to when I was at university, I actually wanted to be a forensic psychologist. So I actually wanted to go into prisons and help with prisoner rehabilitation. And like, you know, I suppose what we'd watch now on like Netflix crime docs, like, you know, the nasty prisoners. Like I was going to go in and fix all the psychopaths, apparently. <laughs> um, but actually, when when I finished my degree, I didn't get a high enough um, class of degree to be able to join the master's program. But I wanted to. So I kind of was like, oh, well, I suppose I better go get a job so I can actually um, live and still go out and see my friends and do all the things I was enjoying doing at the time. Um, So I started working as a weekend supervisor for a fashion brand called Oasis, which I don't think is with us anymore now. Um, And that very quickly led into part-time, into full-time, into a promotion, into changing brands to coast, to having my own store. Um, And then before I knew it, I was in a retail management career and actually really loving it, like running teams, to play with clothes all day dressing people up all day it was it was lovely actually and coast was um at the time well known for being a real kind of occasion wear brand so it was a lot of prom dresses bridesmaids dresses mother of the bride so there was a lot of like really cool like emotional <laughs> like feel good um customers as well um but in 2008 we had the credit crunch right so Retail didn't do so well, especially the retailers that I was working in in that moment. Um, and there became a bit of a question mark as to whether I would still have a job. You know, um, we'd gone into administration as a brand. There was a, a deal with that to come out of administration that meant some stores would close and potentially that could have been my store. So I was like, OK, so if I get made redundant, what will I do? And I was like, well, I did psychology at university. I work in retail. I thoroughly love training people. I was the training manager um, at the time. And I thought, okay, training, psychology, work, psychology, psychology of work. Um, And I actually applied to go back to university to do my master's in occupational psychology, which is just a fancy way of saying business psychology. So um, yeah, I actually didn't get made redundant in the end, but I still took the opportunity to go back to university to study. Um, qualified as a business psychologist in 2010 um, and then yeah actually went back into retail in learning and development so worked for Mango, worked for New Look internationally so got to travel a lot which was really great um, and then I actually went into a stint in HR um, for a law firm for four years which was a bit of a change from sparkly retail and clothes etc yeah. um, but actually it was a great learning experience for me it was a very kind of professional 
um, very senior role, um, working in a very male-driven environment, um, working with a very different type of employee. Um, and yeah, that was great. I got my coaching qualification when I was there. Um, and then I think I had a, my other little epiphany moment in my career where I was like, okay, I've spent all this money becoming a psychologist. Maybe I should actually go and try and be one for a bit. Um, so I went into consultancy for four years and worked as a business psychologist. Um, and actually a bit of serendipity, um, a director I used to work with um, in a previous life in New Look advertised this role in All Saints. Um, and that for me, I was like, well, All Saints is so cool. Um, she was specifically looking for a psychologist and I thought, okay, this is, this is the one. And I suppose that, yeah, the rest is history. This is where I am now. Wow. You've had such an interesting career path. I actually can't believe, um, that you kind of started in psychology and you ended yeah. up in psychology at the end. I know, right? I know, um, I know. It's really interesting that journey in between, um, kind of just realizing, you know what you wanted in the beginning yeah. was to be entirely honest what you wanted in the end <laughs> definitely definitely and I think there was a lot of stuff where some things were kind of changed in me of what I actually found I was enjoying and then there was a, also some elements of external factors as well that influenced but I think I've, I'm very grateful for the career that I've had because it has been so varied it has been so interesting and it's mm. taught me a lot definitely so. So when you were at school, did you have any idea what you wanted to do or be or did that happen later in life? You mentioned that you wanted to go into prisons and talk with, you I know, know, jail. I know. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh. a psychopath. Um, <laughs> was, that, was that always your, your train of thought? Um, what my mother would tell you is at six years old, I was adamant I was going to go be a teacher in Hawaii. Um, right. so I think that gives you a bit of a difference. Um, to be honest, all the way through school, high school, maybe going into college, I had no clue what I wanted to do. You know, I had very supportive parents who were like, you know, whatever you want to do, we'll support you through it. We'll, we'll get you, we'll support you to go to university and so on. And I was just at the, like, I don't really know. <laughs> to be honest, um, it's only when I started doing psychology at A level that I was, became absolutely fascinated by it. Um, and that whole kind of the whole like social experimentation of it, the um, the kind of the people, what motivates people, what interests people, I think. So it was probably more as I was going to university at 18. That's when I was like, OK, I want to do something in psychology um, and definitely not be a teacher that lived in Hawaii. <laughs> not that not that that wouldn't be fun. Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> like, Why didn't I do that? <laughs> So I know that you went to John Moore's University, which is in Liverpool. Um, yeah. But how important do you think it actually is to go to university, especially with all of the graduate schemes and apprenticeship yeah. schemes that lots of different companies yeah. now offer people? See, it's really interesting. I think I've always had a real varied view on university because I had two experiences of it. I did the traditional finish your A-levels, go straight to university. And then actually when I came out of uni, didn't do a career or wasn't building a career in anything to do with my degree. Um, it was only actually when I went back and did postgraduate that I really had the opportunity to do a very practical. So it was almost like everything that I'd learned in the world of work so far, I could apply it into that into that learning into that academic side mm -hmm. so having had both experiences I'm kind of a little bit 50 50 I think there are some careers that you need to go that academic route for sure you know like medicine for example if or a vet if, if that's what you really wanted to do um, but I'm also a huge advocate of on the job training so apprenticeship scheme like we're an apprenticeship levy paying employer and you know I don't want to say like my life's work but a huge part of the last 
sort of two years, especially as being in this role, has been how do we maximise our levy to get as many people training and into jobs who maybe don't want to go to university, can't afford to go to university. And I think the level of training and knowledge you can get through that route can be just as good a quality as going to university. So I think there's such there's so many different flexible ways now, I think, to get into your chosen career. Um but for me, it's like, I think it's a personal preference thing. And also, I suppose it depends what you want to do and what's required of you. Definitely. So the world is changing quite a lot and mm. also quite quickly. I would be lying yeah. if, I, if I said that it's not absolutely terrifying. Um, <laughs> seriously, you never really know yeah. what's happening. Yeah, for um, sure. So with that in mind, what do you think work for women may look like in 10, time, 10 years time? Sorry. Or maybe what do you hope it may look like? Do you know what? I'm glad you said what I hope it will look like, because I think that for me is, is is the word. You know, if we look at, I mean, look at the post-pandemic, the world of work's gone off topsy-turvy already, right? I think yeah. if we, even if we think pre-pandemic, I think, you know, there's still issue around gender pay gap. It's closing, but it's very slow, <laughs> Um, there's still a real lack of women in sciences in engineering there's still quite a bit of stereotyping and even post-pandemic I suppose my hope is now because there's more of a lean more towards flexible working there is more hope for women to be able to have senior careers um, to be able to hold senior roles where in the past if they've got caring responsibilities so that's family and children or you know parents you know there's a lot of like different things that are taking up our lives now alongside work um my hope is actually the pandemic has fast forwarded that a little bit because there is more flexibility you know hybrid working working from home i would love to see more emphasis on part-time being given more credit for what it is um job sharing you know there's still a lot of opportunity to be really innovative i think with how we put work together to make it more accessible to women i think as i say the stuff around that's been lurking around for a while unfortunately the pandemic hasn't helped doesn't seem to have had the same effect um but i'm really quite hopeful for the future because i feel that companies are starting to realize that to get things done and to achieve and to be successful it's not about you know who gets paid the most and so on it's actually who's most productive in role and yeah um to be able to sort of create workplaces where there is that flexibility at least at least we're kind of on the way a little bit quicker with that so fingers crossed definitely so um as part of our rich next gen summits we look mm -hmm. at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities yeah. do you think that as a society we're seeing more equality in all areas of our lives and can you tell me a little bit about how the organization you're in um is trying to attract people from these certain types of backgrounds that's a really interesting question i would say if i think of all saints so going to our organization i think we're really fortunate to attract and retain a really diverse group of employees so at our last because with our gender pay gap report, we actually also reported our um, like our diversity stats as well. Um, so at the moment, 40% of all saints are people of colour. Um, but I, there's always more to do. And I suppose I can't speak for society. 
Um, but from our organisational standpoint, we want to make sure that we are there for every girl who aspires to a career in fashion, regardless of their background. So it's important that when she comes to look at us, so whether that's shopping in store, going on our career site, you know, reading about us on LinkedIn, you know, going on our TikTok or our Instagram, for example, it's so important that she sees role models working in those leadership roles, working just generally around the organisation that look like her. And that's still definitely a work in progress for us. But yeah, again, we see we're, we're on the journey, I think. Definitely. And I hope that we continue on that journey as well. For sure. For sure. So throughout your very, I must say, diverse career path, um, yeah. have you had any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire? Um, I'm going to have to shout out to my first ever mentor, who is a lady called Gemma. And I first met her, I'm going to say it must be around 2011. And I'd just been to a conference and I ended up at a networking event afterwards. And I was kind of like sitting in earshot of what she was talking about. She was a HR director at the time. And I just found her to be absolutely fascinating and really down to earth and very frank and very honest. Um, and I actually, in that moment, um kind of got really nervous and I thought no I'm going to go do this and I actually kind of tapped on the shoulder and was like hi you know we met at this conference and I'm listening to you now I would really love for you to mentor me and bless her she was really shocked she was like why I was like I just got this really good feeling about you um so she was the first person I ever asked to mentor me um and she was my mentor for a couple of years actually and was a real influence on broadening my horizons around because at that point I'd been to uni and I'd worked for a couple of brands and yes I'd traveled quite internationally but in terms of wider experience in different industries and she worked in hospitality at the time so still service-led but very interesting um and then yeah I think I've had some really strong especially female um I wouldn't say necessarily they're officially mentors but leaders who like my bosses so Hazel when I was in consultancy was fantastic from a kind of coaching psychologist point of view um, it was great to be able to kind of learn from her. And even in my current role, actually, my director, if she listens to this, she's going to be really embarrassed. But um, <laughs> my, even in my current role, my director, Helen, she's she's such a different personality to me in some areas. So I find that really quite inspiring to see how she mm. handles different situations and manages things. Um, because I know I can get really passionate and quite excited and very extroverted. <laughs> and so she's kind of given me sort of real inspiration of how to get people on board when they're not like me, if that makes sense. So basically not how to like scare people with my enthusiasm <laughs> um, a little bit. But I mean, it might also might sound a bit cheesy, but I actually learn a lot from people all the time. Where I'm like, oh my gosh, actually, that's a really... That's a really cool way to think about that or you've really inspired me and in how I could solve a problem or so on and so what I just try and do is I just try and tell them in the moment that they've actually inspired me and given me some inspiration um but yeah I think probably those are the three people that stand out for me if I had to think about it but I would say there's I could add to that list we could be here for about three hours easily <laughs> Well, yeah, I think it's great that you've had mentors. Um, they can, I guess they really help you to see things in wider perspectives. And I think that as you did, uh, just approaching people, um, mm -hmm. it's a great way to understand, you know, people's yeah. other experiences. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. So after, after all of this from fashion to, mm -hmm 
a law firm to traveling yeah. across the world do you still yeah. have any personal or perhaps professional ambitions that you wish to fulfill oh gosh um I always said actually in COVID I wanted to learn how to do a handstand and I still haven't got there yet <laughs> um to be honest if I was going to say it's probably like a personal and a professional I'm really bad at taking care of myself if there's one thing I could say to inspire anybody coming up the ranks behind me is like please make sure you protect that rest time you know um keep those hobbies keep those passion projects those side hustles those little things that bring you joy because I got so caught up in my work that I lost all that for a period of time um and you know the running joke that I have with my close friends and even at work is like if I can get more than six hours sleep in a night I am winning do you know what I mean and it I think that's something it's it's maybe something I'm gonna to have to work on all my life now I think it's like the worst bad habit ever um but also I know that when I am rested and doing my 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 nerdy hobbies my lego building and all the things that I do that bring me joy outside of work I am actually better in work um so I think that's that's probably my thing and also a couple of quite a few years ago I did a visioning exercise as part of a leadership development um program like an away day thing and part of that was envisioning your future self and giving your current self advice it was very I know it sounds a bit fluffy right you're kind of (laughs) meditating and then trying to see in the future like crystal ball um but me in the future was very calm very settled very rested very serene on a beach so maybe this was the Hawaii thing maybe this is (laughs) me telling me I should go be the teacher in Hawaii right um but and so I believe that person exists at some point in the future so I'm kind of inspired by that as well so that's yeah. like my my ambition is to be that that person that came to me when I was meditating mindfulness, whatever, whatever they were making it, it was a bit weird. You know, she was real. She felt really real. I could feel like the sun on my face and like the breeze. And I was like, right, OK, so this could happen. So that's my that's my ambition is I'm going to be that person. <laughs> hopefully not a teacher on the beach. And I hopefully still doing what I'm doing. But, <laughs> yeah, that would be the dream. So I have to ask, what are your non-negotiables? So what will you just not compromise on in both your personal and professional life? Okay. Um, For me, I can't do something to tick a box in my personal or professional life. Um, And I guess what I mean by that is, is the job that I'm doing, if I'm not making a difference, and I suppose to give some context to that, making a difference would be, you know, putting a learning program in place that enables you know our employees who aren't yet leaders to get confidence to be able to apply for jobs in the future for example at leadership roles or whether that's coaching somebody to have a realization around oh gosh if I could just realize how I was saying something and that would make me be even better like leader at work and you know there's just something there around if I'm not having an actual genuine impact I don't want to be part of it um and that's probably, you know, you're saying I've got quite a varied career path. I think that's probably what's triggered a lot of movement for me, actually, is when I get to, you know, get to a point in role where I'm like, OK, I've done the things I need to do. I've made all the difference I can make here. And mm. now it's time for someone else to come in and do their thing behind yeah. me. You know what I mean? It's like, OK, this is my bit. It can get better, but actually I'm done now. Um, so, yeah, no lip service, no ticking boxes. I think that's something I can't compromise on. 
No, I think that's great. I mean, you know, if, once you've done all you can do, you might as well yeah. move on and make an even bigger impact yeah. at the next place. And also, I'm like, I'm very good at kind of creating stuff and implementing. If it's all like in place and running really smoothly, I start to go back to the beginning and unpick it all. So I can actually be quite disruptive. <laughs> it's, it's quite a good, I think it's a decent bit of self-awareness to have. Yeah. yeah. As you say, it's like, you know, you've done your bit. Time to let someone else come in and make it even better. Of course. So finally, I have to yeah. ask, if you could yeah. spend perhaps an hour. Um, yep. Yeah. Give or take, of course. Um, just okay. chatting to three people over a coffee, okay. or to be honest, anything that you really, you know, you want to eat or drink at that time. Who would okay, they be and why? Okay, so I, first of all, I hate questions like this. This is like, what's your favourite movie? What's your favourite film? <laughs> oh God. Um, okay, so if I think there are two, two is easy. So. I have two strong, in my mind, female role models. One is Gwen Stefani, who is the lead singer of No Doubt. Um, I fell in love with this band at 12 years old, and I love the fact that she was a girl in an all-male ska punk rock band. (laughs) And she was just the ultimate of cool. And for me, she was like the sporty spice of rock, right? The spice Mm -hmm. girls were out at the same time, but just totally right. And she was so passionate, and she was jumping up and down on stage, and she was sweaty as hell. Um, and then she reinvented herself and went off and did all her pop and R&B and like that whole fashion, she had her own fashion brand. She was absolutely, absolutely iconic to me in that sense. And then even in her personal life, she had like some real challenges around like, you know, ex-husbands and stuff. And I, I can identify with that now. Um, and I even actually got to go and watch her yesterday at British Ooh. Summertime in Hyde Park, which is mind-blowingly wonderful. Um, so I would love, I would love to be able to talk to her. And then secondly, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, or more importantly, her character Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So being <laughs> <laughs> being a very angsty teenager, I would say. I also moved around a lot as a child following um, my dad's career. He was a surgeon, so he would move quite regularly to follow different jobs as he was progressing through his career. So I was always like the new girl in school, um, always like trying to fit in, a little bit of an outcast. So the whole like trying to be a vampire slayer and go to high school totally the same thing right but um, (laughs) I just really identified with that and also you know it was again her resource of like I just want to save the world one vampire at a time so maybe that's where this whole values thing started for me it started when I was you know 14 watching Buffy um but also as a person you know she started her own business she's back on primetime tv at 40 plus I think you know even as a person outside of the whole Buffy persona she's someone I find quite inspiring Mm. Um, and again, it's that kind of power woman vibe, I think, but in a kind of action oriented. So yeah, if I could have Gwen Stefani's voice and Buffy the Vampire Slayer's like karate, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, and then I think the third one, just to be really quite off piece, is a, an author called John Connolly who writes books about a character called Charlie Parker. Um, and I think this is where my inner kind of spooky goth girl comes out because the story is. <laughs> are essentially detective stories so and I think that feels into my like forensic psychology (laughs) kind of thing um but there's a real kind of spooky ghostly element so and you're never quite sure if the bad guy in his story is a ghost or is some kind of nefarious demon so again maybe that's the Buffy thing Mm. so the spooky side of it but yeah bit of a random three but they would be my three because they all inspire me in different ways and they'd just be fascinating to talk to 
Definitely. No, I think that's a great three. Um, and I agree with you to have, you know, Gwen Stefani's voice and, you know, Buffy's skills yeah. and yeah. then be in a detective story. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really weird TV series. You could pitch that to Netflix. It could work. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Sarah. Thank you so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own futures and in their own careers. So keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us and our upcoming summit are at reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our sponsors and partners. Barclays, Domestic in General, AJ Bell, All Saints, Kellogg's, The Vita Group, and City in the Community.